Well, good morning, church. If you have your Bibles, open up to Ruth chapter 4 as we uh, finish up our series this morning. We're going to be moving around a little bit, uh, a couple other passages, but mostly we'll be in Ruth chapter 4. When I was in uh, high school, I worked for a Christian camp uh, that uh, ministered to uh, to kids throughout the summer, and part of the schedule was there'd be two weeks that were kind of the younger kids, and two weeks during the summer that were the older kids, but for six weeks, it was kind of the same age, kind of that, I think it was uh, third, fourth, fifth, and sixth graders, fourth, fifth, and sixth graders that we had for six weeks, and it was a wonderful job. I loved it. I loved serving God, and But the reality is those six weeks, we played the same games. We had the same teaching in the morning. We had different speakers in the evening. We sang the same songs. Um, We ate some of the same food. And after a while, you know, it just kind of was repetitive. Now, you're at camp and you're young, so you play practical jokes on on your friends to kind of keep things alive during that. But it was just kind of six weeks. And The reality is, in the the midst of that, sometimes we'd have to stop and kind of refocus a little bit because it wasn't about us. We weren't there to have fun. We were there to minister to kids. We were there to share the gospel with them, to teach them the Bible. And, uh, you know, sometimes we need to recognize as adults that sometimes it's not all about us. That part of the discipleship process is learning to die to ourself. And when we fail to die to ourselves, when we fail to that aspect of discipleship, we often miss out. And we see that in the story today. Somebody misses out because they're unwilling to die to themselves. If you haven't been here, we've been walking through the book of Ruth and, and uh, Naomi and her family during a time of famine when God was... Uh, Get, trying to get Israel's attention because they were living in sin. This famine is coming, the, the ruin. Uh, they ditched out. They left, and they went to Moab, which was not a place where Israel was supposed to be hanging out. And they went to Moab, and there the husband dies, the two sons die, and Naomi starts heading back, having lost everything. Uh, and one of her daughter-in-laws, Ruth, decides to go with her. And there is a story there of Ruth kind of coming to faith. And so we can almost see her like a new believer. When they get to Bethlehem and uh, they're there, they have what we've identified as two needs. They needed food and they needed family. In chapter two, Ruth goes to work and we find out she is a hard worker and God blessed that hard work. And uh, in chapter three, last week, a lot of discussion going on this week in different groups and I've heard bits and pieces of it. It's been fun. Uh, And uh, there's something going on in chapter 3 that makes us a little bit uncomfortable, but Naomi is trying to find uh, a redeemer, a kinsman redeemer for her and Ruth. They're trying to solve that family issue. And so we had an awkward uh, scene on the threshing floor, and Ruth is sent home with even more barley, and they're there waiting for Boaz to solve this problem. So as we have, we're going to just kind of walk through the text, and then I'll walk through my notes. Remember, uh, Ruth and Naomi are at home waiting to find out, and and Naomi says, don't worry, this won't take very long. Boaz is going to take care of it. So chapter 4, now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the Redeemer. Now remember, we've also been watching this love story develop between Boaz and Ruth, or at least we're hoping it's a love story at this point in time. And uh, in this love story, all of a sudden, Boaz goes, oh, there's somebody else. Wait, we don't want a third person in this story, but there's a third person, somebody who is closer in relationship that can be this kinsman redeemer. So, and behold, the redeemer. This isn't Jesus here, just in case you're just jumping in the story, okay? This is the other guy of whom Boaz had spoken. Come by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friends, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took 10 men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Now, just so you know, the gates of the city, this is where business is done. This is where uh, verdicts are made, decisions are made, property is sold. This is, the, this, is the, this is where things happen. 
And so Boaz says to this redeemer, he says, come sit here with me. And he called the witnesses around, the elders. So we're having an official meeting, okay? So the chairman of the board has stood up and said, the meeting is, uh, you, you know, begun, okay? I don't know if they opened in prayer or what they did, but here we go. Then he said to the redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you'll redeem it, redeem it. But if you will, if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no, no one besides you to redeem it. And I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Now, if you're following the story, if you've been here for a few weeks, I said one of the things that Hebrew writers do to clue you into the story is that they use repetition. And he's not just keeping to use the word redeem in an awkward way. He's trying to do it to say, here's what we're talking about, folks. The writer is saying, this is all about, just so you know, this is all about redemption. Okay? So he gets this guy and he says, all right, do you want to redeem this parcel of land? Now, there's, there's a whole lot of stuff here that is just culturally unfamiliar to us. And I'm going to try to walk it through it best we can. But everybody had land. Even though Naomi had left and came back, they still had land. Now, they weren't farming it. They weren't doing anything with it. But that land is worth something. And so he is saying, look, Naomi is selling this land to get herself out of poverty, okay? And so uh, if you want to redeem it, if you want to buy it, you can. It's staying in the family, though, okay? But you're a closer relative, all right? And so he said, yeah, I'll redeem it. I'll buy some more land. Great. Now, if you've been following along in the story and you remember Boaz and Ruth's picnic and the threshing floor, which we're not supposed to, you know, really talk about, we don't know what to do with, we're going, no, 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 don't redeem it. We like Boaz. We don't know who you are. Then Boaz said, the day that you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to, uh, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself. I do not want that thing. I'm not looking for a wife. Notice his reason, lest I impair my own inheritance. Look, if I do this, and Naomi has, or Ruth has kids, then they're going to get this, and then I'm losing out. I'm not gaining anything here. I'm actually losing. I cannot redeem it. Now, this was the custom. Now, here the writer goes, I'm going to say something that's not going to make sense to you, so I'm going to explain it. Now, here was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redemption and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. Could you imagine being in a board meeting? <laughs> Sounds like a good deal to me. Let me take my shoe off. I can tell you it's awkward, right? So he drew off the sandal and gave it to the other, as was the manner of attesting. Uh, one commentator said this might be from uh, the promise that was given to Abraham when Abraham was walking along the promised land before it was Israel's. And God told Abraham, everywhere you, you walk, everywhere where your feet touches, that will be yours. And so they're recognizing that this is part of the promise here. It makes sense. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. And Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought, notice I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to his sons. And Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of Mahlon, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetrate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place." You are witnesses this day. He's speaking to the 10 elders there. Then the people who were at the gate and the elders said, now other people have come in. There's kind of a choir of people who are witnessing this transaction. We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah. 
Old Testament reference here, right? Rachel and Leah were the mothers of the, of the, the 12 tribes of Israel. So they're saying, let Ruth give you a big family, okay? Who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephraim and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, who Tamar bore in Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. Let's, let's keep this line going. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, the women of the town are talking, right? Because of the women of the town. They said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without notice a redeemer. And may the name and may his name, God's name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you, who is more than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him uh, on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son was born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of of David, and then we have a little genealogy that leads us uh, from uh, Perez all the way to David. Now we know that in this story, Ruth and Naomi had a need, it's just very obvious, for food and for family. Maybe you're here this morning and you are well fed and you have a family. Um, I think one of the things that we need to recognize is our needs that we have before God. Before we can be redeemed, we must see our need that we need to be redeemed, and we must reach out for it. So this morning, in your notes there, we're going to look at the three redeemers in Ruth. We're going to take some time to look at each of the characters and and think about what lessons we've learned from their life, uh, finding ourselves in the story, and then we're going to talk about our need for redemption. There's actually three redeemers in this chapter. Uh, You probably didn't see it here. But the first redeemer is Mr. No Name. Um, It's kind of interesting here. And and the author has done something, and I I didn't really point it out in the beginning, but if you were listening, there was a lot of names in this chapter. In fact, in the first 17 verses, uh, uh, just just before, even before we get to the genealogy part, um, there's 13 different names. That's a lot. And then there's three more added names in the genealogy that weren't mentioned before. We, we talked about Rachel and Leah, and we, and we looked at uh, Perez and Tamar, and uh, there's all these names in here. And then we have a star character of this chapter. He gets no name. He's just the guy, the redeemer, who chooses not to redeem. Now, I don't know, I know how the story ends because this guy who's still in the right family line, Boaz ends up being named in Jesus' genealogy. No name doesn't. Because he wasn't willing to die to himself and take a risk. And I wonder how many redemption opportunities you and I miss out on because we're not willing to take the risk. We're not willing to be named. We're not willing to give something up of ourselves for somebody else. The second redeemer we're all familiar with, or if you're familiar with the Bible, Boaz. Boaz serves as Ruth and Naomi's kinsman redeemer. Now, this is an ancient practice that we're probably not that familiar with. So if you want to kind of, we're going to learn a little history here. We're going to turn to Leviticus. And you just, that always brings excitement in the church when the pastor says, turn to Leviticus. Turn to Leviticus chapter 5, or excuse me, 25, right? Leviticus, so we have Genesis. We have this whole beginning story of, of Israel and how, I mean, well, you have this Adam and Eve story, right? In, in the first 11 chapters, We're following this creation that just kind of implodes on itself. And then we have this really long genealogy that comes up in the middle there. And basically, we find out is that we've got all these different nations of the world 
that's coming out of Tower of Babel and all this kind of stuff, and we start following one family line, Abraham. And it's like God is saying, look, we're still going to have this redemption thing, but it's going to come through this story through Abraham, so follow me. So we've been following this story of Abraham, and then, you know, the problem is that he doesn't have any kids, and God answers that, and then his offspring, Isaac, he has two sons, and they're both messed up, and Finally, God chooses Jacob, and we go through Jacob and 12 kids, and then they're, they're in captivity in, in Egypt, and God delivers them. He brings his people out, and they're rebellious. And then God says, well, you guys need some laws. And so if you're reading the story, if you're reading through the Old Testament, you're like, okay, Genesis, you know, it's got some long parts in it, okay? And Exodus, there's some, there's some difficult parts there. And then you get to Leviticus, and, and by then you're going, I forget this New Year's resolution, I can't do this anymore. But Leviticus tells us a lot about the character of God and and our character as well. And so uh, in chapter 25, uh, we have this this story uh, of these laws about redemption of property. Turn to verse 23. Now, uh, I'm going to just read a few here so we get the idea. Listen for the the word redeem or redemption, because that's what we're talking about. The land shall not be sold in purity, for the land is mine, for you are strangers and sojourners with me. Now, uh, if you, we, we live in America and we want to buy property, right? We want to buy it low, we want to sell it high, okay? And, uh, and we want to, we you know, own and invest and fix up and, and property, in Israel, they also had property. They had lands. It was given to them by God to the tribes area. From the tribes, it was divided up into families. But he had a lot of land. And now God says, I've given you land. You can't sell it. This is not for you to buy low, free, and sell high. You can't sell it. Okay? It's not our view of land. So let's in a different culture. We're trying to see what God is saying. You can't sell it. And he says, because you were strangers. Okay? Now, he says, and in all the country you possess, you shall allow a redemption of the land. Okay? So, there are times when you need to cash out. So if you cash out, you should have a way to get back in. So God says, here's how we're going to do it. If, you have, if your brother becomes poor and sells part of his property, then his nearest redeemer shall come and redeem what his brother has sold. If a man has no one to redeem it, okay, I can't sell it to my brother. So now I've sold it to somebody else. If somebody else has bought the land and now I somehow get more money, that person has to let me buy it back. Okay, they can't, they can't refuse. Now they get to make some money on it because they bailed you out, but they can't, they can't refuse. So if a man has no one to redeem it and then himself becomes prosperous and has sufficient means to redeem it, let him calculate the years since he sold it and pay back the balance to the man to whom he sold it and then return his property. But if he does not have sufficient means to recover it, okay, he can't buy it back. He just he, he just, nothing has changed. He's still poor. So there's no hope for him. But wait, he says, um, if the man does not have the sufficient means to recover it, then what he sold shall remain in the hand of the buyer until the year of Jubilee. In the Jubilee, it shall be released and he shall return his property. Every 50 years, in Israel, there was supposed to be a reset button, okay? This was before the internet, but when, when Israel was broken, you were able to turn it off and on back again and everything worked, okay? It was a reset. So if he couldn't buy it back, at year 50, everybody gets their land back. All the property goes back to the original division. Now, that sounds wonderful. We have no certainty whether that actually ever happened in Israel, whether they actually did it. But it was part of their DNA. Okay? Now he goes on to say, we were talking about farmland, and then he goes on, what if it's a house in the city? Same thing. 
okay? Buy it back, all these different things, okay? So that's what's going on here. Naomi has some land, and uh, she needs cash. She's going to sell it to a relative, which land is blessing. Land is good. Land makes money. So whoever buys it back gets a blessing, but really it's still Naomi's land. She gets it back either at the Jubilee or when they can pass it on in a different way, okay? So that's the situation. Now we learn something, conditions that need to be met for this redemption to happen, and I just wanted to point a few things out. One, God needs to be in his proper place. I love that God starts off with, this something to remind you, like all this land is mine. Okay? This, song, this land is my land. It's God's land. God owns it all. This is mine. I'm leasing it to you. I'm giving it to you. So we need to put God in his proper place in this process. And the idea of redemption. Look, this just isn't the way that our mind works. Our mind works like, hey, if you're poor and you need some money, I'm going to give you the least amount of money I can for it, and I'm going to, I'm going to turn a profit. Okay? And, man, today, you can go home, and if you've got cable television, you can watch five shows at the same time. Just flip through them. They're all about people buying property, fixing it up, and selling it for more money. You, too, can be rich. God's... That's not what God is having them do in Israel. There's no fixer-up shows in Israel. It all stays in the family. And we have to put redemption in its proper place. God says, I want people to have an opportunity. Third, there needs, in order for redemption to take place, there needs to be a, a, a need. If your brother becomes poor, you can say when your brother becomes poor. Like, these things happen, Right? By no fault of their own, or maybe it is fault of their own, whatever it is, uh, poverty or slavery or whatever it is, um, they have a need. And the answer to the need is family. Someone who's willing to intervene in verse 25. Let his brother, that's ideal. There should be somebody who's willing to intervene. If not a brother, then somebody else in the community. Now, the other thing that is conditional for this redemption is there's a price. Catch this, please. This is really important. Redemption always costs something. Redemption has a price. It's not free. Let him buy it. Okay? Boaz says, I'm going to buy this property. There's an, and, and then there should be a change. Verses 26 through 28 the man has no one to redeem it and you know, becomes prosperous. There's, there's a, this place where the point of redemption is that something is returned or restored to the person. A change takes place. And we really see this in Ruth. And it's, people are like, wow, this is going to be great. Now, wonderful things are going to happen for you, Naomi. Isn't it kind of funny? It's funny in the story because it doesn't Ruth kind of like falls off here a little bit. I mean, sure, she gets married and all this kind of stuff and has a kid, but they're all talking about Naomi, Naomi, Naomi. And so there's this, this price that was paid and there's a change. Something is restored. Okay, so Boaz is a redeemer. Third, redeemer, Ruth, in a sense, is a redeemer. She becomes a, a redeemer for Naomi. Uh, because in, in the, she's described here and you you just have to hear the language, right? I, I'm a dad of three daughters, and I love my daughters, but you, you, in that culture, right, boys worked the land, boys did all this kind of stuff, boys were playing all this thing, boys, boys. And they go, hey, this Ruth, she's better than seven sons. Well, that's, that's a blessing. That's a big statement there, okay? So Ruth becomes kind of a redeemer for Naomi, in a sense, as well. Now, we've been talking about finding ourselves in the story. There's some lessons that can be learned. And uh, as I was thinking through the life of Naomi, um, we had some really good discussions. Uh, I see Naomi as kind of a, a negative character in parts of this, and others uh, disagreed with me. I won't name who, Fred. Um, but we, we had some really good discussions about that. But there is a point of redemption in the life of Naomi, of, of a change. And I thought of Psalm 30. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up 
and have not let my, my foes rejoice over me. O oh Lord, my God, I cried to you for help, and you have helped me. O oh Lord, you have brought me up from my soul, from Sheol. You restored me to the life from among those who go down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, O you, his saints, and give thanks to his holy name, for his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. For as for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved, but your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong, you hid your face, I was dismayed. And uh, God redeemed or, or saved or turned this story around. I won't read all of Psalm 30. But Naomi, it's a good for us to remember that God's anger is temporary. God's anger is temporary. Now, I, I want you to, to hear that. Some of, us, uh, uh, we, some of us don't do well uh, when somebody corrects us. Or we don't respond well when somebody's upset at us. And we, we think that it's all over now. It's, it's, it can never be the same. And, and just think about that for a moment. What if that were true with God? What if when we upset him, he just said, well, that's it? Well, the answer is we would all be in a lot of trouble. And so this psalm here that, that God's anger is for a moment. It's temporary. But his favor, his grace, is for a lifetime. His favor is for a lifetime. What a, what a beautiful reminder that, that God, yes, sometimes he's angry at our sin, that he brings us into discipline or, or ruin so that we might turn to him, but his favor is for a lifetime. God is, is a God of reversal. God wants to see change. And there's so many different places in the Bible, and this is one of them, where Naomi goes from bitter to being a joyous grandmother. Where Ruth goes from being a widow, childless widow, to being a mother in the line of Jesus. Now, we don't know much about Boaz. Um, it seems from the text that he's older, and no other kids are mentioned. So maybe this kind of like single uncle guy, you know, all of a sudden has a family as well. So God is a God of reversal. Now, I think there's some lessons from the life of Ruth. And so I need to give you a little other background here. The Hebrew Bibles that Jesus had that existed, you know, before we have our English Bibles, they were in a different order, okay, that... The order that you have in your English Bibles were created mostly by the English culture, different things. And so the Old Testament was originally in a different order. And there was three parts to it. It's called the Tanakh. And so there's the Torah and the writings and the prophets. And Ruth, now, as far as those three groupings, we know where the books fell. The orders within the groupings were not entirely 100% on. But most scholars put Ruth right behind Proverbs. Now, why this is significant? How does Proverbs, those of you who know the Bible, how does Proverbs end? The Proverbs 31 woman, a wife of noble character. Look at chapter three in Ruth. Verse 11, on the threshing floor. And now, my daughter, do not fear, I will do for you all that you ask. All my fellow townsmen know that you are a wife of noble care. It's the same term. The woman of Proverbs 31 may very well be Ruth. You're at least supposed to see that part of that character that comes out in her. And so she models excellence. And that word, noble character, or wife, uh, worthy, or uh, whatever your, your different translations, I prefer the word valor uh, because it, it's there in the Hebrew word and it's much more uh, it's stronger. Uh, she's, she's a woman of physical strength. We've seen in the book of Ruth, she has ability. She has noble character. She's valiant. She's brave. That's who she is. 
That's the, the wife of Proverbs 31. She's a worthy woman. She's noble. She's a woman of valor. And, and Ruth is a model of that. She also my, my, models kindness. In Proverbs 31, 26, that word hesed is used. We've had, we saw that in this text. She is a woman who is, is example of this loving kindness, this, this uh, hesed kindness, this loyal love that God pours out on us and then we give to others. She models that. And she models the fear of the Lord. That's how Proverbs 31 ends. And we see that in Ruth. And we see it in Ruth, who is a Moabite, who's not supposed to have that faith, but she exemplifies it. Now we can learn some lessons from Boaz. Boaz walks in wisdom. This is a wise man. Now, I'm not a a salesman by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, I'm not somebody who wheels and deals. But even I can read this story and go, Boaz set this guy up. He set him up. Man, he's in this and he says, hey, got this business opportunity for you. I got some property that we can sell cheap. Uh, it belongs to you. I'm just being a man of you know, kindness and integrity and letting you know I could have bought this myself, but I would never do that. This land is open to you. Do you want to buy it? Yeah, I want to buy it. Oh, you get Ruth along with it. You got to marry her. Oh, you don't want that. He sets him up. It's beautiful. He's wise. But we've seen throughout here that Boaz, is a, he walks in integrity. Now, I said throughout this, there's a bunch of names. And our name means something. It's who we are. And Boaz's name, he is a man of integrity. Now, we also saw and we've seen throughout this, not just his integrity. uh, And that stands out in chapter 3 and in chapter uh, 4 as well, right? We looked at that last week. He's, He's a man of integrity. But even beyond that, his integrity is extended to those who are vulnerable. Uh, And what we see is that he walks in kindness, especially to those who are vulnerable. He has an eye out towards the poor. And and we we can learn something from that. And we said when we we were looking at chapter 2, yeah, you don't have a land and you don't have a a place to set aside for the the poor to, to, to work. But how is it that we are making margins in our life to help other people. You know, I, I have to say I was uh, nervous uh, coming into Ruth, uh, narrative, Lord's not mentioned a lot. And as we're finishing up Ruth, as we're coming to the close, I'm, I'm almost mourning it a little bit because I've enjoyed the characters. I've enjoyed what we're learning from Ruth and Naomi and the story and the history And it's coming to a close here. But the author wants us to catch one more thing. And that is this idea of redemption. We have looked at this story on three levels. There's the individual level and the sense that Naomi and Ruth need food and family. They're hungry. And so we can see their needs on a personal level. We've also looked at it at a corporate level. Uh, there's something that's going on in Bethlehem. Uh, enough that people are talking about this situation. They know Ruth. They know Boaz. They're talking about it. How's this story all going to work out? And whether we realize it or not, when we are a community of people as a church, there's individual needs going on and how we meet those needs and how we meet the needs that are around us in our community is part of the gospel story. And so I started this with saying, There are those in the gospel story who are not willing to die to themselves and take the risk in redemption. And where's their name in the story? It's not there. And fortunately, there was Boaz to step up. But if there's not, the, the whole thing begins to break down outside of God's sovereignty, just on a human level. Corporately, Are we willing to die to ourselves 
so that others hear of and experience the story of redemption. And then there's a universal level, and that's God's plan for redemption. That's that's that we've been following the story, Abraham, that's been going all the way through uh, to Isaac and to Jacob and Esau and to the 12 and then in captivity and then Israel going into the land. And we've been following this story. And then the author in these last uh, verses, 18 through 22, says, kind of blows a trumpet and goes, this is the line of David. Pay attention here. Now, if you've been reading in our church, in our church reading, we just finished Nehemiah, and remember, they get in, back into the land, they come back in, and they take roll, and not everybody's name's on the roll. Names matter. So, so why do the names matter so much? Remember, uh, God gets with Abraham, and he says, look, I'm going I'm to bless you, Abraham. That's just part of it. I'm just going to do it. I'm going to bless you. And then he says, you're going to be a blessing to the nations, Everybody that's, you know, you, everybody that blesses you and, you know, curses you and all this kind of stuff. And basically he promises Abraham three things, a blessing, a continued blessing, a land, and a people. And right here we have a blessing, a land, and a people, a name. And God is working that story out. We looked at, at the beginning uh, of this series, uh, the place in which the story took place. And that was uh, in the time of the judges. And I said that there's these cycles that happen in judges. And we don't, you don't have to write them back down again. They're in your, your notes before. But remember, relapse. God's people begin to relapse, fall away from God. God brings ruin. In this case, it was a famine. In other cases, it could be a, a, another people group. And then the people cry out to God. They repent. God brings a judge. The judge comes and fixes whatever the situation is. He appoints a judge, and then there's restoration, and there's a time of peace. And we've walked through all those cycles here in Ruth in a short period of time. There was relapse, and Naomi took off into Moab and her family because of the ruin, and then they cry out to God. In this case, there's a small judge. There's a small redeemer, and that's Boaz. And he comes in, and he sets everything, and there's restoration, and now there's a time of peace. That's how this story ends. In a sense, even though we know Israel's going to go through a whole bunch of other stuff, this story ends and they lived happily ever after, right? It's kind of how it feels here. So where are you in the story? Are you in relapse? Is your walk with God not where it used to be? Are you experiencing the ruin of sin in your life or in the life of your family? Have you come to a place of repentance? Now, repentance isn't just in this, just so you know, those of you who grew up in the church, I'm not saying have you asked Jesus into your heart. I'm not, I, didn't, I haven't used that phrase except to say I'm not using it. The phrase I'm using is repentance. I'm saying have you repented? Have you said that is sin? My direction was wrong and you cry out to God and you are committing going a different way? Are you experiencing restoration? And if you're experiencing rest, awesome. That's great. I'm glad that you're in a good place. Are you continuing to die to yourself so that other people can experience redemption? Now, let me go back over these conditions for redemptions again, and let me do it with one more text, and that's in Titus chapter 2. Let's look at redemption in the New Testament. Uh, Different word, obviously, Hebrew and Greek, but similar idea. And in Titus, chapter 2, I'm just going to read verses 11 through 14, just a small little group. Uh, Paul, writing to Titus, says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us, notice this, here's salvation. The grace of God, how did the grace of God appear? In the person of Jesus. Jesus came. That's how his his grace appeared. And this grace has appeared bringing salvation. How does salvation come? Through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and our faith in him. It's come for all people, not just the Jews. That's what Paul is saying here. But there's a purpose in this salvation. 
training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. There's the name. Verse 14, who gave himself for us to what? Redeem us. To buy us back, to save us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Now we talked about the conditions for redemption. So let me just say, first of all, this is about God. This is God's story. This is, we're putting God in his proper place. This isn't about you. And the wonderful news is that from the very beginning, God had a plan to redeem his people from the garden. God has a plan. And here's the thing. We have to allow for redemption in that we need to see our need. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death. We go back to the garden. God says, if you eat of this tree, you will surely die. If you continuing to choose your own way, if you continue to do this on your own, if you continue to make this story about, about you, if you continue to define good and evil on your own, if you want to live life on your own, if you want to do it your own way, if you want to say you don't need God, if you just want to, then that, the wage, the price of that, you can have that, but it's going to cause death. Eternal death. And so sometimes we think, well, I don't know that I need it. And what the Bible says is we all need it. For all have sinned. Every single one. We've all fall short of the glory of God. We've all chosen our own way. We all have the need. And in, in the notes there, I also said, we, not only do we have a need for redemption, uh, but we need, to, uh, we need to allow for redemption. We have to see that need. And what I mean is sometimes you can say, redemption is good for that person, but I don't know that it'll work for me. I'm too far gone. We're going to start 2 Peter next week. And I'm excited for this. Great, I didn't plan this part, but it's a great springboard off of that idea. Because remember, it's Peter who's sitting around the coal fire as Jesus is being tried going, I don't know him. I never met the man. I don't know who you're talking about. Rooster crows, panic. He goes out and weeps. And God comes and restores him. Now you can talk about all sorts of sin. But I don't know, walking with Jesus for three years, seeing everything that Peter saw, and then looking a stranger in the face going, I don't even know that guy. That's a fall. So I, I don't, what you've done in the past, who you have been is irrelevant. You are not beyond redemption. And we need to allow that for ourselves. And we need to allow it for other people. I confess, sometimes when, during the week, the people that come to the doors looking for different things, sometimes I go, wow, yikes, they are far gone. Nobody is too far gone for Jesus Christ. We need a person to redeem us. Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us. He is the person. He is the name. Now, in this story, uh, uh, in Ruth, right, there's this genealogy at the end. And if you want to follow the genealogy, we can all say, I don't care which, you know, company you use, you know, 21 or DNA and you or whatever it is, you're not going to find yourself probably in this line. So you go, well, how do I do that? Your genealogy, if you're a follower of Jesus, is really simple to follow. It goes like this. Jesus, you. That's it. It's the only name you need to remember. How did you get in here? How, what, 
What clan do you belong to? Jesus. That's it. He's the name. That's it. He's the person. He's the family because he's God and he created everybody. He's our heavenly father. You get to name him as your kinsman redeemer. And there's a price that needs to be paid. And I think 1 Corinthians 6.20 says it best. You were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body. Jesus was that price. He paid the price for you. Now, here's why I picked Titus here. And we talked about this when we talked about Boaz and Ruth. And, and we looked at Leviticus. There's a change that takes place. And it says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Training us, this, this change that takes place should happen in our lives. To renounce ungodliness, perfectly? No. And worldly passions, perfectly? No. And to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives, perfectly? No. But we should be work, that, that should be our desire. That's where we're working towards. Again, in, in Acts this morning, I, I mentioned it uh, in my prayer this morning, but uh, a change takes place. And Paul, in his sermon, says um, these, these, de these deeds uh, that, I need to look at it now, I'm, I'm misquoting it, uh, deeds uh, uh, leaning towards or leading towards repentance. In other words, when we repent, how we live should be differently. It, it should have a different focus. And look, I know that that's really hard for some of you to grab a hold of, and I'm almost done. It means, well, I grew up in the church, you know, I was... Cradle to, you know, coffin, that's me. Oh, yikes. Cradle to coffin, Baptist church, that's me. Uh, I don't know what change you're looking for, Dave. Look, every single day, you and I should be, one, growing more in love with Jesus Christ. And two, we should be changing our thoughts and behaviors to magnify the person of Jesus Christ. We should love him more. We should serve him more. And in that, we should also love other people more. And if you're getting older and you love people less, then that's a check. If you're getting older and you love Jesus less, it's a big check. So here's some application and action. On a personal level, each one of us needs to recognize our need for redemption. On a personal level, we need to recognize our need for redemption. And if you're here today and you have never repented of your sins and made a choice to follow Jesus Christ, if you've never followed him in the waters of baptism, I would say that here's a moment to say, I recognize that need and I want to respond to it. And in that, we need to believe that God has the power to redeem. The Bible says if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord, we believe that he's king. If we confess in our, in our, with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, that is that we believe Jesus died and rose again and that redemption there, that work is enough, that price is enough. If we believe that, we have to believe that that power will redeem us, will buy us back. And so we need to repent and receive. I was, I was a kid. I grew, I grew up in church. I don't think it was the cradle, but, you know, I went to, it wasn't VBS back then. We had something else, but those type of things. I went to the kids' clubs and different things, and at some point in time, I'm sure I asked Jesus into my heart because that was the lingo that I grew up with. But I also need to repent. I need to repent, and I need to receive God's grace and forgiveness. On a corporate level, we need to believe in God's ability to redeem. We've got to believe that God is still working in this world and that he is doing things for his kingdom that, that matter. And I don't want to be no-named in the process. I don't want to be the no-name guy in the story. I want to believe that God is redeeming and I want to be a part of it. And part of that means for me, I need to die to myself, my likes, my preferences, my way. And I need to live in light of God's redemption. 
I need to live in this light that I'm only here because somebody loved me, that God loved me and that he died for me and somebody shared that story with me. And so we all need to tell the story of God's redemption. How can you find a way this week to tell somebody the story of your redemption? Now, I know that some of you are are getting older and maybe your family's heard it before. Um, I want to tell you, my grandparents meant a lot to me. And uh, I wish I had held on to every single piece of anything that they had written. I just have a few things. I don't, can't remember one thing my grandfather, I can't remember if I had anything from my grandfather at any point in time, but my grandma, I had a few handwritten notes. Um, I, my wife is the only one that can interpret them. I would just, we would get a Christmas card, I'd hand it to Janine, I could not read my grandmother's writing to save my life. Why don't some of you take the opportunity this week to write the story of your redemption for your family and send it to them? So I just want this to be in the family. I want to remind you of your heritage. I want to remind you of what God did. And you know what? If the story is about how great you are, then you're missing the story of redemption. If you're hiding all the mistakes you made, then you're missing what's going to really impact your kids and grandkids. Write a raw story of who you were and how God changed you. And on a universal level, we need to continue to celebrate God's redemption. God's doing things all over the place, and he's redeeming people and places and cultures. Uh, just this week, uh, uh, it was a great uh, Facebook thing that uh, Rod and Angelica were talking about, the Dignity Campaign that they're doing in Cote d'Ivoire. And it was just, it was, I, I remember when Angelica was here, and she had just come from a conference, and she was excited about this stuff, and now she's teaching leaders to teach that to other people That's redemption. It's a story of redemption. Let's celebrate that. And I I think that all of us need to put ourselves in the proper place in the story. And I know that there are so many things we'd like to say, if we're going to be a church, then we need to do this, and we need to do this, and we used to do this, and all that. Let me just say this. I think if we're going to be a church that sees baptisms and sees people redeemed, one of the biggest things we need to do is learn to die to ourselves. We need to learn to die to ourselves and realize that there's a bigger story going on and something much bigger is at stake. And, you know, we can praise that Boaz, you know, he's like, not only is there something bigger at stake, but I'm getting something awesome, and that's Ruth. And I'm excited about that. And I don't care what it costs me. And, uh, you know, we need to take some risks for the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this morning, and uh, we thank you for your word and, and just the, the challenges that came through the book of Ruth, and uh, we pray that as we move forward as a church that we would continue, continue to think about what the story of redemption means, uh, what it means to, to uh, love those who are vulnerable, uh, what it means to um, care for the sick and the poor, uh, what it means to, to change a story, and uh, God, we thank you for these lessons. We take them to heart as we move forward. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.